Dirk Reinhardt is the author of The Edelweiss Pirates, a novel set in 1941 in Cologne, Germany. Josef Gerlach, Gerlo to his friends, is 14 and just starting an apprenticeship. Through a memoir being read in the present day, we follow Gerlo's life to the end of the war and learn about the Edelweiss Pirates of the title. They're not widely known about, in the UK at least, and Nicky Gamble asked Dirk, with Rachel Ward, the English translator of the book acting's interpreter, to tell us a little bit more about them. Sogar in Deutschland kennen viele Leute die Edelweiss-Piraten nicht. They're not well known in Germany too, apart from a little bit in Cologne, which is where this book is set, and it's an area where they were very active. Um, people know about the White Rose, and they know about Stauffenberg, who led the attempt to assassinate Hitler with a bomb. They know about um, various other people who were resistance but they don't know about the Edelweiss pirates. After the war, they were kind of suppressed and they were written off as just young criminals. They weren't sort of accepted as having been part of the political resistance. And he said that they started off as young people who just wanted to lead their own lives. They didn't want to go to the Hitler Youth. They wanted to hang out and have fun and wear their own clothes. And it started with first the police and then the SS and then the Gestapo trying to force them to go back into the youth and that that was what made them political. That's what politicized them. So they started by distributing leaflets after the bombing raids and then they started writing their own leaflets. Then they started on sort of sabotage, trying to sabotage the army troop supplies and the trains that were taking things out to the troops, trying to sort of stop the war and sort of true political resistance. I think that's what uh, really struck me when I read the book, that to begin with, it's being a teenager, it's rebelling against authority. But also, I was struck by the difference between the academic, the theoretical, the academic institution and working class resistance. That was very powerful to me. <laughs> the most important reason for the um, Edelweiss pirates leaving the Hitler Youth was that they were, were working class young people. Uh, according to the Hitler Youth propaganda, everybody was equal in the Hitler Youth. Somebody who came from a middle class family was equal with somebody whose family was working class. If your, if your father was a professor or worked in a factory, it didn't make any difference. That was the theory and the propaganda. But in reality, it wasn't true. And so the the leadership positions always went to boys from good families, boys whose parents were teachers or professors, middle class. And there was sort of already this kind of class war, sort of in this class society, that middle class and working class families lived in different areas and went to different schools and then would get into fights in the streets. And then now in the Hitler Youth, the middle class boys could literally order the working class boys around. They could tell them to crawl in the mud. They could humiliate them and they had to obey orders because that was part of what the Hitler Youth was all about. And it was really because they didn't want to sort of put up with that. This was a, a key reason why a lot of them left the Hitler Youth. There's one member of this group of boys, Goethe, who seems to come from a different 
demographic? Einer der, also die Gruppe im Roman besteht aus zwei. Goethe ist der middle class boy, as you said. Um, he originally joined the group because he was in love with one of the girls. Um, and then even though she dropped out of the group, he carried on hanging around with them and he, they teased him a bit, but they accepted him. But he was really important to the group because of music. So music was a really important means of self-expression, the way it always is. So you've got like with punk or hip-hop. So for them, music was important. They had their songs and they played music, but they obviously they didn't have like record players and things, so they needed someone who could play an instrument. They had people who played guitars, banjos, mouth organs, etc. Goethe could play the guitar and he could also teach the others to play some of the songs and he could help them write songs and sing. And then there were, in the other Adolf pirate groups, there were other middle class um, young people who joined them um, if they had some other reason why they weren't sort of part of the Hitler youth like for instance if they come from a religious family and they didn't their parents had banned them from going to the Hitler youth or if they were um, pacifists and didn't want to be involved in the sort of the militarism of it that was another reason why they wouldn't be in the Hitler youth and they might end up in the Edelweiss pirates and einige von denen haben dann den Zugang gefunden zu den Edelweiss Piraten It seemed to me that the overarching thing is one of freedom. And I wondered if, in that sense, one of the reasons of having Daniel, who's in the present or, you know, thereabouts, is that it's easy for us to take freedom for granted. Yeah, um, es, es war mir sehr wichtig, den Roman nicht zu schreiben als einen reinen historischen It was important to him not to write something that was purely a historical novel. He wanted um, to have some kind of framework for it that was set in the present day to give modern young people, so people reading it now, a figure that they can identify with. So that's why we have Daniel as this sort of 16-year-old boy who meets old Mr. Gerlach, who's one of the few Edelweiss pirates who to have survived the war and who has a reason to have a relationship with the boy that we find out about at the end of the book. But he gives him his diary to help him to understand what's happened to him and what the, the link between the families are, that the past isn't completely over as such, that sort of what happens in the past affects what happens in the present. And you can, in Germany, you can only understand the modern sort of Federal Republic of Germany if you know about what happened in the in the Hitler era. And that, it, yeah, it's important to learn, sort of learn from the past and not think that it's just over and done with, but that you have to keep sort of of working through it and and understanding it and to have the the comparison between Daniel and Gerlo because obviously for Daniel then freedom is something that he can take for granted but it wasn't for Josef Gerlach when he was a young boy he couldn't take freedom as a matter of course it was something that they dreamt about in den Roman integriert habe Yes, history has no beginning and has no end. It's a continuous thing and everything has a cause effect, many causes and many effects. Uh, while we're talking about freedom 
in the present, I was struck by their desire for air to breathe, a path to walk, a song to sing. Seems to me that that could apply in a very different context to today's climate action, youth campaigning for climate action. Ja, sicherlich. Also wir haben ja auch heute in Deutschland, auch in England wieder Jugendbewegungen, also Fridays for Future. Definitely there are links between youth movements in the past and now there have always been young people's movements, Fridays for Future and all these things. And says that sort of unfortunately there's right-wing extremism in Germany again and so right-wing parties and that more and more of the the people who actually lived through the Nazi period aren't around anymore, so you have to find other ways of telling their stories. So all young people, all youth movements, they want to sing their own song and go their own way. But if you do that now, it doesn't generally, in most countries in the West, it doesn't put your life in danger. So when he talks to people in young people in schools the, the most common question they ask him is what would you have done if you'd been there in that time would you have been an Edelweiss pirate and he likes to turn it around and ask them well, what would you have done having read the book and that most of the young people say they wouldn't have been a Nazi they wouldn't have wanted to go along with all the ideology and everything but they would have gone to the Hitler youth partly because it was dangerous not to partly because that's where their friends went that's where it, what everybody did they thought they probably would have sort of gone along with it and they wouldn't have risked standing out um, and that the Edelweiss pirates did kind of start out as a sort of a youth movement like sort of any other youth movement but when it became dangerous they had to say are we prepared to risk our lives for this and what made them different was that they decided that they were sozialistisch in gewisser Weise das ist dann der Unterschied von damals zu heute the story begins with an execution and it's Josef's brother Horst I wondered why you took that moment, which actually comes closer to the end of the war. So starting there was a very conscious decision. Yeah. Das, das war eine sehr bewusste Entscheidung. It was a very conscious decision to put this scene from 1945 at the beginning of the novel, um, that there were two reasons for doing that. So the first is that the reader learns that Horst is going to be executed, that Gela is there, he's gone in secret, he's already in hiding, he's already wanted by the Gestapo, so his friends have to go with him to make sure he doesn't do anything stupid. Their mother is there, She would have been brought by the Gestapo and made to watch her son being executed. And so then the reader wants to know why. Why is this happening? Who are these people? What's it all about? And then later, as it goes, as the book carries on, you find out that Horst was a sort of true believer in the, in the Nazi ideology, that he was in the SS, that he volunteered for the SS, that he wanted all of that. So then why is he being executed? So it's to build 
attention and to get people asking questions. And the second reason for moving that scene um, is to create a link between the opening scene and the second scene. So in the second scene, Daniel is at the cemetery to visit his grandfather's grave and he sees this old man looking over at another grave, which turns out to be Mr. Geller and the, the other grave is Horst's grave. Um, and so they get into conversation and then that leads into the novel and makes a connection between the two times that are in the novel, the, the modern and the historical period in the, in the novel. Und ganz an den Beginn des Romanes äh, gerückt habe. The relationship between the two brothers is nuanced. And um, at one point, it is about the reader asking questions, but we ask questions along with Gerlo as he is asking questions and working it out and coming of age himself. And he says, What if I'd been the sports star? out of the two of us and they wanted me at that school and not him would everything have happened exactly the other way round does everything really come down to such coincidences so that's a key thought as the children in school ask you that question and you pose that back to them it's an impossible question to really answer ja, Horst, der gerät so ein bisschen in den Horst comes to the attention um, of the Nazis at the SS because of his physical appearance, because he is blonde, he's got blue eyes, he's muscular, he's good at sport. So he's the Aryan ideal, um, which then gets him a place at this so-called elite school. So there were Adolf Hitler schools or National Political Education Institute schools where they were trained up to be successors to the SS. But Horst was only really wanted for that because of his physical appearance and that it's these tiny things that make the difference between being a Nazi or a resistance fighter. So when they were boys, Horst was sort of the hero. He was the big brother that Josef looks up to. He's the boy who rescues him out of fights or helps him out when he gets into trouble. But then this chance of his physical appearance sends him down one path and his brother down the other. That you're not sort of born as an evil person or a good person, a resistance fighter or a Nazi, and that put it in as a deliberate thing to show that sort of small things and chances and coincidences can turn what people turn into. This is a difficult question. Um, as I was reading the story, it just struck me how difficult it must be for families, for communities, where people are on different sides to kind of heal and how this must take decades and probably why for so long. I think you said that people would not acknowledge the Edelweiss pirates as political because it threw into question their own innocence. Yeah, uh, in the time after 
And the other answer was, well, if we had known, we couldn't have done anything about it because of the surveillance state, because of the power of the Nazis. It was just impossible. We couldn't have done anything. And the Edelweiss pirates, by their existence, contradict both those things. They knew they were kids. They were working class kids. And they knew what was happening. And if they knew, then everybody else must have known. And they did something about it, and they did things about it for quite a long number of years, some of them. And if they, as these simple working class, ordinary kids, did something about it, then adults definitely could have done. Adults with power and influence could have done something. If they were honoured as resistance fighters, then that raises all these difficult questions. So, therefore, it's easier to say they weren't resistance fighters, they were just little thugs, they were just young criminals who didn't want to do as they were told, and to silence what happened and to hush it up. I wanted to kind of end on a note of some hopefulness. So after the death of old Mr. Gerlach, a woman comes to his grave with the Edelweiss flowers. And it's Maya from that old... Yes. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if this is significant, but the name Maya means mother. And there's a lot about mothers in the story too. And they suffer a lot, but maybe there's some hope there as well. Yeah, Maya ist damals, wird aus dem Tagebuch ersichtlich von der Gestapo aufgegriffen. Maya, as the, the figure, the girl in the book, is arrested by the Gestapo and interrogated, tortured, maybe sexually abused. As a result of that, she revealed, uh, sort of gave away the names and where they met, which enabled them to then arrest the other members of the Edelweiss pirates, at which point Maya disappears out of the story. And then this old woman um, turns up at the end, Daniel sees her in the garden of the sort of old old men's home where um, old Mr. Gerlach's living um, and at, at his hospital and there's a f the phone rings but nobody sort of dares to speak to him. Maya wants to see him, wants to tell him why she did what she did but she's still too ashamed and so the idea came out of a conversation with an old woman from Cologne who still felt this incredible guilt because her younger siblings had died she'd been told that she was in charge she was responsible while her mother was working there was a bombing raid the house was destroyed so this woman had survived but her younger siblings hadn't they'd been killed in this bomb and she'd 
sort of had this guilt that she'd carried around with her and still sort of wept over when she talked about it decades later. And so Dirk obviously tried to tell her that it wasn't her fault, that she was too trapped to be able to hear that. And that was what led to this character of Maya, who had this guilt for what she'd done as a result of the way that girls were treated if they were caught by the Gestapo and the brutality, it would be enough that anybody would give them names if they felt that they would get out there themselves and the boys understand that, they don't blame her but she's still carrying this guilt around decades later that she still can't speak to him to tell him and that it still affects people after decades and so that's why he wanted to put that in but then wanted to put at the end that she comes to the grave and lays the white flower as a sort of a hopeful gesture, a sort of um, acknowledgement of being soulmates and that what they did wasn't completely in vain. Indeed. I just want to ask Rachel about uh, translation. So one of the things you will have had to consider, I suppose, is the voice of the boy, mm -hmm. taking that from a working class German boy to something that we can identify with in English. Was that quite, was that straightforward? That was quite a challenge because he uses a lot of slang and a lot of very casual way of writing in his, in his diary because he's sort of just writing the way he speaks and the way he thinks. So obviously, as you say, we need to get that voice into English, but you don't want to make him sound British. You don't want to make him sound American. <laughs> but you also don't want to use words that weren't used at the time. So, yeah, it is definitely a challenge. There's quite a lot of looking in the dictionary to see whether a word was actually in use in English in the 1940s or not and so on. There was one piece of dialogue that I wanted to ask you about where um, there's there's a joke that they make. It's the Heil Hitler and you say heal yourself. Was that in German? Yeah, so in, in German, Heil means hail. Heil Hitler is hail Hitler, but Heilen is to heal And so one of the things that they do is this little act of resistance if, because you're not supposed to say hello, you're supposed to say Heil Hitler every time you beat anybody or do anything or want to ask permission to go to the bathroom at work or whatever, you're supposed to say Heil Hitler. And so one of their acts of resistance is that they don't. And if somebody says Heil Hitler to them, they say no you heal him. And it really doesn't work in English. There wasn't really anything that we could do with it beyond just putting that in and putting an explanation in the glossary at the end. Normally you try to work in a different joke or a joke that does work in English, but that was so important and so specific that we had to sort of leave it a bit. Interesting. I just wanted to ask you about your response to the book. Obviously you spent a lot of time With it. I think it's a very important book. I really am so glad that we have it in English, thanks to you. What were your overriding sort of thoughts and feelings having worked on the project? Obviously, it's quite heavy. There are parts that are very difficult, very difficult to read. And 
obviously then that makes them even more difficult to translate because you have to sort of inhabit that for such a long time and sort of engage with it at a very deep level because you're as well as reading it you've got to find the best word to convey all these horrible things Mm -hmm. so there were parts that it was very much I will do a chapter I will do a page I will do a paragraph and then I'm going in the garden then I'm going for a walk then I'm going to plant a bulb or or I'm going to read some really light-hearted thing or play a game you know anything before coming back to it because it is quite intense I must ask you, have you read it in English? <laughs> uh, yes, I have read it. And I'm, I'm very happy about the translation of Rachel. A few months ago, I, um, I got the, the whole text for the first time. And I read it. And I thought, uh, wow, it sounds really good. Sometimes the English version sounds even better than the original, I think. So that's because of this brilliant translation by Rachel. That's good to hear. Can I just thank you both for joining me today? Rachel, I have to give you double thanks for the interpreter (laughs) for us today. I know how difficult that is. So very different from translating words on paper. You've done amazing. Thank you. Thank you for, you know, opening up and giving us uh, your thoughts and reflections on Mm -hmm. this book. I greatly appreciate you being here today. Thank you both. Thank you. In the Reading Corner is presented by Nikki Gamble and produced by Alison Hughes. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please do leave a review for us. To find out about other projects, including an audience with events and the Exploring Children's Literature Summer School, visit www.exploringchildrensliterature.uk. Join us again soon in the Reading Corner on your favourite podcast platform.